Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This podcast is produced on Gadigal land. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. With challenging times comes opportunities and comes opportunities to really dig deep. I decided really quickly not to go down with the business. I've seen a lot of my fellow entrepreneurs really struggle through going through something like this. I could have disappeared for a couple of years, but I decided quickly to turn that around and make it an opportunity. You're listening to Short Black with me, Sandra Sully. Good women, great chat. Hi, folks. Sandra Sully here with another episode of Short Black. Now, it's taken me, I think, at least three years, maybe longer, to get this woman into the studio to have a chat. Christina Carlson, wonderful to have you here at Short Black. Thanks for coming in. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Now, when I first met you all these years ago, I just loved what you did. And your business then was Kiki K, which was the number one stationary company and retail outlet in Australia. And not long after I met you, really, the business went bust. Yeah. What have the last couple of years been like for you because you were the face of the voice of and and the inspiration and creative genius behind it yeah it certainly has been a couple of years of um, a journey that I never anticipated to go on and also it was really hard but saying that in the hard times is when we grow I'm all about personal growth and have read every book in in that um, area but in the toughest of times if we can dig deep and learn then we come out um, as a better version of ourselves. And I feel like that's really what happens. It was horrible. Now I'm through it and I have a new business, Dream Life, which is all about inspiring people to dream and create their dream life, whatever that is for them. And I now love this business more than I love Kiki K. And I loved Kiki K. So with challenging times comes opportunities and comes opportunities to really dig deep. I decided really quickly not to go down with the business. I've seen a lot of my fellow entrepreneurs really struggle through going through something like this or, you know, it doesn't have to be a big, I guess, also very public event, but going through hard times, you know, I could have disappeared for a couple of years, but I decided quickly to turn that around and make it an opportunity. When Kiki K went into collapse, I mean, really, 
so many people love the brand yeah. Kiki K and want to know what happened. How come it's disappeared? It's a bit of a long story, but it was just when COVID happened. But it was kind of a perfect storm. So we were in five countries, Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, Hong Kong, and the UK. So we had Brexit in the UK. We had all the issues in Hong Kong. And then we had the bushfires here in Australia. And retail is tough. You know, so much changes in retail. But in, I think it was 2000, and I just have to get my years right. But 2018, I think, we got a private equity firm involved and we raised capital to go global and we hired a professional CEO and that didn't work out and things didn't go quite to plan and with all the challenges and so many internal challenges as well and then we got approached by China's number one or the biggest manufacturer in China of stationery wanted to buy us and the private equity firm was ready to sell it to them and we were ready to sell as well. We wanted to keep, me and Paul, my partner, wanted to keep a little bit and it was perfect. When we met with them, it felt right and I thought the deal was done, but you know, a lot of behind the scenes things that you need to sort. And then just before COVID happened, I remember being in Germany meeting with their team and one of the employees said, I'm really worried about this virus. And I'm like, oh, just another virus. You know, I think a lot of us thought that and obviously then COVID happened and they pulled out and then our private equity firm didn't want to fund it any longer and decided to put it into administration. And as a entrepreneur, that's like the last resort, like you just don't want that. It was out of my control because when we took the private equity firm involved, we signed our rights away. So it was out of our control. It was the saddest day of my life because for me, Kiki K wasn't just a business and I know it became a globally loved brand and I started it from having no idea <laughs> and just really a passion. And it was so sad because for me, it wasn't just like, it wasn't me and then the business. It was my family. It was you. Yeah. So it was really, really sad and sad in so many ways because it wasn't just sad for me, it was sad for the team and then COVID happened and it was so so many things happening at once and to navigate all that in just COVID alone and then <laughs> administration in the middle of it was really challenging. But I knew the whole time that we would be picked up by a buyer because we had an amazing brand. And um, every time I would meet someone and say that I was part of Kiki K, they'd be like, love Kiki K. And people just love it. Except sometimes husbands don't love it because their wives spend too much money. So that's understandable. <laughs> And we did, we got picked up by a US firm in the middle of all this and we started again and me and Paul got back in with them and it was really exciting. And I always had a dream to really get the products out globally and US was a big potential market for us. So I was like, yep, once we can leave the country, I'll move there and we'll make US a, a success. Taking in a business in administration is hard as it is because you have to turn everything around. And then in COVID, when all our shops, well, especially in Melbourne or Victoria, were closed. So the new business who bought us, which I felt was like a stationary match in heaven because they were also a stationary brand and I was like, this couldn't be better. They lost faith in the Australian government in terms of opening the stores. So that one day they just said, hey, we're going to pull the funding. I could not believe it. So that's twice you go into administration. Yeah. And this is your baby. This is your dream. Mm. You poured your heart and soul, you and your partner, into this business. 
you actually had such a distinctive brand. Your brand yeah. recognition was solid. Yeah. And uh, in that moment, and you know, it's, I mean, we can speak about this for days because there's so many, <laughs> so many aspects of it, but I spent a lot of time thinking, what is next for me? And I, I'm an entrepreneur. I know that if I fall down eight times, I'll get up again for the ninth time. So I knew that I could do it again. And having been in that situation in the second one where they just from nowhere just decided to pull the funding, I was like, I don't want to be in that situation again. So I said really quickly, I'm not going to go down with this. I'm going to start again. And I'm not, it doesn't matter how how much money I get offered to be on my third <laughs> journey with someone, I'm not doing it. And luckily, um, I never heard, the people who bought it never heard from them. I actually have heard from them with a legal letter. <laughs> I, I think it's, it's so different to how I do business. So the brand still exists somewhere? Yeah. So someone owns it and, um, and I've started again. So I'm actually still doing stationery through uh, the Dream Life store and it's actually helping people create their dream life. So we are doing journals that helps people um, create their dream life and gratitude journals and we do lots of quotes and things that are inspiring and then I do coaching and uh, I do a lot of speaking now because I feel like I've got so much to share over all the crazy learnings. You know, I, I interview women from all walks of life and uh, I know that you've been to Helen back and you've literally told us it's some of the worst times of your life and yet there's an energy and a buzz and a positiveness about you. I mean, you're right, you are the quintessential entrepreneur, knock you down 10 times and you back up again like, yeah. like one of those, you know, sideshow alley kind of... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just pop back up again. Yeah. Where, where does that come from, that, that inner strength? I don't know. I, I've done a lot of work. And when you start your own business, you, I did it really young. And I worked really, really hard. And I saw so many people get burnt out. So I decided really quickly, I'm not going to be one of those people. So self-care, the really simple stuff. I don't wait for like that perfect holiday and then relax. I, I look after myself every day. And it's really simple things like walking, meditation, eating well, sleeping well, all those kind of things that we cannot take for granted, but not everyone, you know, it, I think there's a lot of common sense out there, but it's not always commonly practiced. There's a lot of things that got me through it, but I think perspective, because one of my friends passed away in cancer. He was also in retail. And when he passed away, it was such a shock. He was also the, you know, so loving life and it was such an entrepreneur. And I was just like, that was so sad. So I put his photo on my vision board to remember just never to take life for granted and also remember that I'm just lucky to be here. So through this administration when it was just awful and, you know, our culture at Kiki K was very much like a family culture. We were human first, like really it was a beautiful culture. I never worked with administrators before, but they just a different kettle of, like, they're just different. And I was just like, oh, my, they are just some awful people out there. Well, it's about the numbers. It's not about the people. No. And oh, I was kind of in shock. And, you know, you need to run a business in a, sometimes in a hard way, but the way that they treated us, especially the second uh, administrator, whatever they're called, administrators, I was just, I, I said to him, surely you understand this is not easy. Don't make it harder. And it was so, so awful. What was the hardest part of that experience? I mean, you're confronted with financial loss. Yeah. Career damage. Yeah. Brand damage. Yeah. And your kids going to school and all their friends are reading about how, you know, mum and dad have failed yeah. is the perception. Yeah. I think that was the hardest thing because we, I think we raised a couple of entrepreneurs. They're now 12 and 15 
And we, like my son, who you met, he has traveled with me the whole time. And he's like, like a mini me. You know, if I would do an interview, he'd be like, I think you forgot to say this. Like he's so, you know. I think he was 11 or 12 at the time. And I was floored at how impressive and together and sort of ahead of his time he was. Yeah, absolutely. And he's always been like that. And then now he has like his own golf brand. His goal in life or his dream is to play for Cricket for Australia. He wants to play cricket, but he also started to play golf. And then one day I picked him up and he said, the golf clothing is really boring. I'm going to start a brand. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that sounds good. 48 hours later, he has a website up. He got designs done. Like he's just, he's just an entrepreneur. So he's a real entrepreneur and so is Tiffany. And so she has a little candle business. We shared everything with them, like the, you know, the successes and, you know, the failures that we are talking about here. We had so many other failures, of course, like smaller things in terms of, ups and downs that every business has. We always managed to pull through them. But when we went through the administration, I knew the whole time I'm going to survive this and I knew Paul would survive this. But I wasn't quite sure about the kids. They will have had comments in school, be like, oh, can you pay for my lunch? Your mom is worth $100 million and things that was always written in newspapers and things like that. And then that turned, you know, to, oh, maybe I should pay for you now because your mom is, you know, failed. And so it was, that was the hardest, I think, knowing if the kids could actually go through that. And I have to say, now when we are through it, it's just amazing. So I feel like they pulled through, but that was my, that was my biggest concern because there was so much media. Did it bother you at the time, reading about this perception of failure and like you owe $20 million to creditors? Yeah. And in business, you know, that's not a great reputation. No, absolutely. So... I felt media was really kind. It could have been much, much worse. I wasn't so worried about the $20 million to our investors because that's the risk that they take and that's what we took as well. Like when you go in with that private equity, that's the risk you take. I was more worried about the small suppliers and the people that I worked with for my whole business time. But then I thought I can always make that up. That's what's my mind. Like I decided instead of focusing on just how bad that was, but then I'm thinking... I can make that again and I can somehow make that up later on. And then I've kept that in my mind to kind of keep that positive scent on it. And did you make it up to them? No, because I'm still in startup. You know, I've just started that business because it's taken like a couple of years to kind of get through everything that we went through. But now it's all about, you know, making sure that we can live on this. And then eventually I know that I can build another successful business because it was successful in so many ways. It's just, um, it was just a little bit of a perfect storm. think set Kiki K apart from all the other stationary businesses? I think it was an authentic story. I think when I started, I would go to every editor, you know, I don't know, I, as, a, as a person who comes to a new country with no network, English as my second language, I always say that English, you know, I mix English and Swedish, which I call Swinglish to kind of <laughs> just really justify, I, I had no idea. And I think what kept us getting that brand out there was kind of in the beginning we I went to see all the editors to just and it wasn't me like I've oh, put them in your magazine I always said hey what do you think should I change should I do this and 
I almost felt that they, because it was such an authentic story, they really helped me and they felt part of it. And this is like 20 years ago. And I feel like I always shared my love for the brand and my love for stationery. And it was a very much in Swedish design and also started with my young female. You know, now it's very much more common. But back then, it wasn't many of us. You were a real point of difference, weren't you? Yeah. And also, I think it was real. It was my real passion. I seriously love stagery. Where does that come from? And I think what I loved also about Kiki Kane's story, and as you say, with your Swedish background, there's some kind of clean, fresh angle on things, whether it's spatial or architectural. Yeah. There's some point of difference that's unique to your culture. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I came here, it ba basically the, how I started Kiki K was because I wrote down my dreams on paper and uh, one of my dreams were to start my own business, but I had no idea what, what that was. And I thought I need to start somewhere. That's the always for anyone listening, starting is the most important because you don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. And that's always been my kind of philosophy with everything because I had no idea. So I think we were really unique. Like the first year we opened, we got voted the most innovative store by the Lord Mayor. And then we got this like mystery shop and I was so passionate. So for me, customer service is all about helping you, you know, get what you need and want. And we won this award, which we didn't know we were in. And they, the age called me and they said, what did you do different? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. We just help people. So I think it was a very beautiful culture in our store and I heard this over and over and somehow we managed to keep that even, you know, I think we got to 120 stores in our peak. And I think a lot of people who are struggling, so this could be depression, diagnosed with cancer, just lost someone, relationship breaks up, whatever it was, a challenging time for this person, would come into our team who would be very nurturing and helping because it wasn't just about selling for us. And then I feel like we have so many, we had so many beautiful products to help you go through that. It sounds to me like it's part of the cathartic process yeah. of the journey. Yeah. And you're helping people express it and find ways to diarise. Yeah. But when I think about your journey and what you went through, I mean, you're all smiles and enthusiasm today. <laughs> were there ever any dark days? Oh, plenty, plenty. There were days where I didn't know if I was going to up. And it was days where I just thought, oh, I can't believe, like, you know, when you just look at things, I wish I, you know, I have so many things I wish I'd done differently. So there was certainly that. And I think that's really important to talk about because now I'm all about the journey ahead of me, which I'm super excited about. But there were certainly days where I just couldn't get out of bed. You know, I, um, I was just did a talk for 500 entrepreneurs and I shared a video where Paul, my partner, he documented when uh, we were just about to tell the team and he was driving in the car and he was filming himself talking. And then I called and I was crying and I shared that. So a lot of people were crying. And and I think that's really important because, you know, I'm a very positive person and I'm all about making the most of whatever life throws at you. But it certainly means when you are, you know, if it's depression or if it's failure, whatever it is, you need to kind of go through that in your own time and let it take the time it takes. Perspective has worked so well for me because I'm thinking, you know, in COVID, there was so many people worse off than me. I still had my family. I still had my health. And I think perspective really, really helped me. And can I say, we, you were also financially secure. 
Were you through no. that time? No. Not at all. No. You lost everything. We lost everything because we have taken out some money throughout the years and, you know, we made lots of money in terms of salaries. But we always put everything back into the business because that's like even sometimes when we took some money out, if we had an investor, we had lots of different investors over the years and that we bought back, etc. And if we took some money out and we, the, their business needed again, we always put it back in. That's all I knew. Like I could invest in other things, but I'm like, I don't know. So always invested. And I always thought, well, we'll survive anything. And we obviously didn't. And that was, a, that was hard too, because doing a startup when you have kids in schools and, you know, a lifestyle that you got really quite used to. So no, I wasn't financially secure. What did you learn about yourself? Did you surprise yourself at all when you were in your most, in your darkest times? You know, I've, I've been a victim of an assault and, you know, we've all had tough times and lost people close to us. I often think most of us are one or two missteps away from a mental health breakdown or, yeah. or hardship or homelessness. It doesn't yeah. take much to tip anyone over the edge, really. I agree with that. But I do think that all my work on myself, not just through challenging time, but even in my best days, certainly helped. What I learned about myself is that as an introvert, I never liked the media intention ever. I always felt that I was working against our marketing team because I didn't want to be on television. I never want to be on radio, all those kind of things. But I did it because I knew that, that we didn't have the budgets for. So it was a great opportunity to get out there. But I never really enjoyed it. So not being in media when you have a success story, if that's challenged, it's even more challenged. And also in the successes, I can control that story much more than now because I didn't, I didn't control any of that mm -hmm. uh, more than the, you know, the press release that we gave. So I learned that I can go through anything and I now feel throw me anything and I can go through it. And the positive out of that, because there's always something positive, even in the hardest of times, I believe, is that I now understand how other people are going through difficult times and I feel I can be there. So I do a lot of coaching now and I feel like there's nothing that I don't, I think anyone can go through anything just with some tools and some help. What tools do you wish you had had then that you have now? I actually spoke about them at this talk that I did the other day. Perspective, walking, you know, I called my girlfriend who lives here in Sydney every single day and I, she must have been so sick of hearing the, all the things but having a friend that was actually there to just listen was incredible because I did go through this with my partner which sometimes you just needed to speak to someone else because my problem is his problem and then vice versa. But you're still together. You got through it. Yeah, exactly. I just felt like I was really, um, sometimes my family laugh at me thinking, you know, how much personal growth books can you read? And I'm like, it actually came really handy. <laughs> so I felt like I had the tools. And, you know, I was, when I did this talk and I shared the video, there was a girl who was really crying at the front. So I went up to her after and I said, are you all right? And she said, I went through this exactly what you did, not in such a public way, but I didn't have the tools. And so she really felt it. And I felt I was really grateful for all the personal growth that I've been working on. So I felt like I was really quite fine. I guess all of us are nothing more than the product of our journeys. And that's the wins and losses, the hits and misses. Yeah. It's brought you to where you're at today, which is starting up this new business called Your Dream Life. Tell us about that. You've indicated, hinted at a few aspects of it, but what is it in essence? So I wrote a book a few years ago called Your Dream Life Starts Here because I used to do a lot of talks and I always had a bit of a handful of people and said, 
oh, I just want more. And, you know, when you have 15 minutes, you just can't give everything that you want to give. So I wrote this book. And then uh, over COVID, when I was waiting to work out what was happening, I filmed that myself at home <laughs> and I put it on a course. And then I, uh, people started buying the course. And then I realized a lot of people buy books and courses, but they don't actually do the work. So I now have a, a coaching program, which is called the Dream Life Coaching Program, where I go live every week. So if anyone has any issues or challenges or things that they want to learn, they have access to me every week. And then, so that's a 12-month program that you can join at any time. And then I'm really passionate about reading and learning. So I started a, a virtual book group called Grow. And it's all about personal growth book. And that's not for everyone, but a lot of people like me who love learning. So I invite the authors and it's kind of a membership. And then I still love my journals and I still love products. So I have now developed a technology. So we print on demand. So we're not sitting with millions of dollars because that's In obviously, stock. yeah, mm. which is just like, I can, I can only imagine like if you weigh 300 kilos and you lose 200, you just feel amazing. And that's how it feels with no inventory. So we print on demand and uh, everything can be personalized and we use echo paper, all the stuff that I always wanted to do. And now we can do collaborations. So, um, you know, we've done collaborations with lots of different people and they don't have to be big. So if they have a journal within them, I can now facilitate that. And it's a win-win relationship. And what's demand like? Because I suspect, um, you know, the calling card as the founder or co-founder of Kiki K is a pretty impressive door opener. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, but it, the thing is that it's taken me a while to kind of wanted to get out to media. So I haven't done a lot of that. So people still send me DMs chasing orders and things. <laughs> so I need to get out there much more and tell the story to know I'm back and uh, in a much better way. And I really want to make these journal. We, we do a lot of things. We do cards and notepads and to-do lists and all those kind of things. But what I'm really passionate about is the content in the journal. So, you know, I want to do content with like, we're doing something with the Breast Cancer Foundation. And I want to do things that really can make a difference to people's lives. And I don't know all the contents that is needed. And there are so many amazing people out there that are niche in their specific field. So I feel like that I have like, you know, so many journals coming up and uh, I'm just really excited about that. It sounds to me though, once a retailer, always a retailer. And yet, and yet what you're doing is quite specific in terms of design and layout. Are you all those three things in the one person? Are you doing the design, the layout, the business? How's it all coming together? I was very fortunate to work with a couple of people when I started up. It's so important who you work with. I will never, ever work with someone I don't like because I think we spend so much time. So my designer I worked with for 20 years, love working with her. So she looks after all that. I work with Paul and I work with Amy, who was part of the Kiki K startup. And uh, we just work like such a good team. So I'm not all of it. I think I'm the visionary in terms of I dream big. I have no limits on what's possible. But it's absolutely a team effort. It always has been within Kiki K as well. I, you know, it was definitely not me. I came up with the idea and I had a big vision, but it's, it takes a team. And so Dream Big will never have retail space. You won't be a bricks and mortar retailer. You're just going to operate <laughs> in the cloud or server-based? Yeah. For now. I never say no. But for now, it's, uh, it's just so nice because um, it's less people involved in it. I want to keep it quite small. My dream now for the next 12 months is to really grow the Dream Life store, which is the on-demand printing business, as well as sharing my stories. So 
I'm going out to talk much more about how I manage it because there's no point me sitting with all my learnings. And how does Paul feel about you taking the front role in sharing the story? Is he happy to? He's always been, it's always been like that. It's always been me doing that, uh, even though I'm the introvert. I guess that's because in the beginning it was my story and that's what people were interested in. But I do feel like he can certainly share because we dealt with this very differently. So I think he can do that whenever he's ready. He wants to do like a documentary. He captured everything. I'm not quite ready for a documentary. When you say you both dealt with it differently and we all go, you know, two of us can watch a car accident and have a very different version of yeah. events. What did you learn from his experience and what do you think you learned from yours? Because you both went through the same thing together, but you experienced it differently. Yeah. I think it took him longer. I decided pretty quickly because I feel like I saw so many people over the 20 plus years that I was in business that when something like this happened, it was depression, it was not a lot of ugly things. And I, I decided quickly, I'm not going to go there. He took longer. And it was a lot of anger. It was that for me as well, but it was a lot of anger because there was a lot of things that could have not been done perhaps a little bit differently. And also the culture was so beautiful at Kiki K. And when you then have administrators stepping in and it's the opposite or more than the opposite, it was hard to deal with. So what's your dream for your dream life? Well, my big dream is to inspire 101 million people to write down three dreams and go chase them. And that is a massive dream. Why three dreams? Because a lot of people who are not living their dream life or who don't have a lot of dreams can feel a bit overwhelmed. So I do a workshop called 101 Dreams and that's all about putting it all on paper. And I always ask, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? Because a lot of us are scared of failure. What if you had all the money, the resources, the knowledge and the skills to do whatever you want in life? What comes to mind for you? So for example, when I started my podcast, that came because as a second language person, I was like, no, nah, I can't do a podcast. And you know, I'm so used to be interviewed, not interviewing other people. Then I thought, if I couldn't fail, I'm going to start that. But the first 50, I was terrified. But then I thought, if I can't fail, well, I will just keep going. And this is again coming back to just starting. And the more you do things, the better you get. So the three dreams is really about just if you come up with lots of dreams, then you often stand still because you, where do I start? So three dreams, just focus on three dreams at a time. And if you make them happen, then you can obviously add more. Why 101 million specifically? Well, it's a big number. I like to really dream big. Even if I just reach a tiny bit of that, I will always keep that in mind to go for something really big and think that way. I think when you have small dreams, you think small. If you have big dreams, you just have to expand and you have to share it with other people. And it's so amazing when you share with other people because, you know, me sharing the story today, there might maybe someone say, oh, I can help you with this, or I can support you with this. And if all of us do that, then hopefully we'll make the world a better place. Well, Christina Carlson, I mean, I think if that doesn't leave you on a high, I don't know what else, <laughs> what else will. Congratulations on, you know, resurrecting yourself and, and your dreams and staying challenged and connected. I know when Kiki K collapsed you know, once, let alone twice, must have been devastating but to come out the other side with the resilience and passion, enthusiasm and positive attitude that you clearly exude. Um, I just want to say congratulations and I look forward to watching where you go from here. So thanks for coming into Short Black and spending some time with us and encouraging us all to dream big. 
Thank you so much for having me. And for anyone listening, the key is just really to start dreaming. Good advice. You have been listening to Short Black, a Network 10 podcast. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, subscribe in your favourite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.